the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to turn to chapter 1, we're still in chapter 1. Uh, verses 19 and 37 we'll be focusing on. I will, we will read it uh, together in a little bit and it'll be up on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, you might as well uh, turn there. It was so awesome uh, to worship this morning um, because nearly everything that I would say in this, uh, we, we sort of prayed out, there was scripture, there was songs that we sang, um, and, uh, and so I was really encouraging. It's almost as if God's speaking to us as a church. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, and uh, another exciting thing for this morning is we've got a clicker. Wow. So I'm going to be in charge of my own slides, uh, which is very exciting. I, in fact, pre- uh, created this PowerPoint specifically to use the clicker. Uh, so I hope you guys appreciate that. It's even got a laser. Wow. wow. Welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, this morning... We are looking at Behold the Lamb of Men. You have to think of different ways. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which is a a quote from uh, this chunk of scripture. It's really great. Uh, We heard Revelation from Josh. We sang um, my favourite song before the throne of God above, which says, Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. We also sang Lion and the Lamb. And it's like we let those things slide over us a little bit, and it can be a bit of a, wait, hang on a sec. What have lambs got to do with anything? I think some of us have an idea, a sense of that, and some of us probably don't. It's kind of obscure in some ways, and when you really think about it, it it's kind of weird. Um, so, so hopefully, by the end of this preach, we'll have got a greater understanding of, of that whole concept. Uh, but there's a lot to look at. Um, cool. So, as most of you know, if you don't know, me and Chloe have recently uh, moved well, I've moved house into our uh, new home that we'll both move into after the wedding. Um, and uh, as part of the process of moving is I obviously had to pack up my old room and, and all my old stuff. And thankfully, Chloe came to help me out. Um, but this is kind of where the problem started, you see. Obviously, we know each other quite well, but you always get to know each other a little bit more when you start like unpacking and packing <laughs> the boxes. <laughs> and... Um, you see, as Chloe was helping me box up my room, she discovered uh, a bit of a, a bit of a shameful secret that I'm willing to divulge today. Uh, you know, she's been over loads of times, and I'm I'm a clean guy, maybe not the tidiest, but I keep things clean, especially communal areas. But there's uh, there is a part of my personality uh, that maybe Chloe hadn't quite realised is I'm a bit of a hoarder. Um, Knew it. <sighs> It's like, there's all these bits of paper that I see, and I'm thinking I could use that for a collage in the future. There's many collages I've got planned, uh, or an art project here and there. Um, and then, uh, of course, um, I, I really love Lush uh, products, and uh, there's these shower gels, and, uh, and they, might not ne- they might never do that one again, that fragrance. They, they change them all the time, every year. So I might never, you know, I never get to smell that. So I keep just a little bit in the bottle, at the bottom of the bottle. So she's like, what is this? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it, it was a stressful and rude awakening. Um, and I see now that it was getting out of hand. So I'm, I'm acknowledging it. I'm open to the fact that I had a problem developing. And I'm very excited um, to work on this together. Um, <laughs> It's a confession. But there's something here that's uh, unmistakably true. 
um, a, a principle that as you get to know someone more, um, you, you start to discover more about them. In fact, there's a quote by Matthew Henry, uh, which I was reading. Uh, Matthew Henry is, uh, is this guy, um, and he was writing a long, long time ago, and he said this, men discover their weaknesses to those most familiar with them. That is, they reveal their weaknesses to those most familiar with them. But it was not so with Christ. Those most intimate with him saw most of his glory. And you see, this sermon series is called The Real Jesus. And to get to the real Jesus, we, we are looking through the Gospel of John. This is because John is Jesus' closest disciple. He knew Jesus most intimately. Uh, he was right up at the very beginning to the very end, uh, an eyewitness account to everything that Jesus said and did. And all the moments where uh, Jesus did went like for the transfiguration for example it was just three of them of the disciples went john was in that group so he knew jesus the most intimately um and what we discover is that differently to how chloe discovered my weaknesses what john discovers in his closeness and relationship with jesus is just glory um it says uh yeah so uh john saw jesus uh, up close and personal uh, and saw his glory. So we want to look uh, through the book of, of John, the Gospel of John, for the same purpose, that actually as we focus in and look at uh, Jesus through his eyes, we will see Jesus more clearly, which is the point of what we, we were worshipping this morning. It was such a big part of our worship was we just want to fix our eyes on him. We want to keep the main thing the main thing, and it's Jesus. So uh, we're going to keep uh, going through John, and it's going to be the same priority the same focus is to to look to uh, to jesus and to discover more of his glory and the aspect of his glory we're, we're looking at today will be the lamb the lamb the lamb of god uh, so that's just a bit of uh, background um no not ready for this uh, a couple of weeks ago <laughs> a couple of weeks ago we looked at uh, the prologue to this book uh, which is a theologically rich and poetic retelling of the creation story, but putting Jesus right in the centre of that. Uh, he's the word of God um, the, the brood that, that came in and, and, and creation was formed through, uh, through Jesus. Um, but the portion of text I'm looking at today is actually still part of that overall introduction. Uh, it's kind of amazing that we're three sermons in and yet we've not seen Jesus or heard him speak yet. And this is really important to what John's doing here in this book. Um, so we haven't heard him speak um, because John is really concerned that at the outset, at the beginning, we get the foundation of our understanding of who Jesus is. We get it right. Um, before we hear him speak, we need to understand who he is. Uh, so last week we saw that Jesus was there at creation. He stepped into flesh and walked among us and is the only source of illumination for the world. And today we'll learn the most important thing about him, and is that's what he came to do. Uh, great. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to read uh, the text. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just pray, how would you come and reveal your son to us this morning? Lord, we pray that um, we would read these things that your, uh, your apostle, your disciple John wrote down, and that we would believe in Jesus more today and see that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing we'd have life in his name. In Jesus' name, amen.
Wonderful. So, uh, here is the text, and we'll just read it together, if that's okay. Uh, the testimony of John the Baptist, so starting from verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness... I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Uh, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. There it is. Cool. So today uh, I've got three points. Uh, first is John's purpose, uh, then John's priority, and finally John's message. Um, and I guess there's a, a mini conclusion there. <laughs> yeah, exciting. Uh, but before we really get onto this, we need to ask ourselves... Who was John the Baptist? And here he is looking decidedly like Jon Snow. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know about you, I had a few uh, ideas about John. And then in reading and researching, I, I found that I was quite wrong. Uh, we often think of him as this wild man, crazy, uh, straggly-haired, bearded guy, living a nuts existence out in the desert eating locusts. And yeah, he did baptise out in the wilderness, and he did eat locusts. Yeah, but it turns out that that's probably quite a normal thing to do because most of that area is desert and locusts is a really cheap and common food for poor people. So if you're poor and you don't get much money, then you can eat locusts. Mm. There's four types of kosher locust mm. here that you can eat. Other insects are not kosher, so Jews couldn't eat them. But there you are. Um, uh, in fact, John was a really popular teacher. People were flocking to see him from all of Judea. Uh, they wanted to hear what he had to say, and, and he was baptising thousands of people, uh, the Gospel writers tell us. In fact, eventually he was locked up for fear of being too in influential. So he's not like crazy guy out in the sticks. He, he, he's kind of rock star, prophet, preacher. People are like talking about him in the cities and towns of Jerusalem and flocking to see him. Uh, here he is uh, <laughs> doing his thing, and this would be where he was. 
uh, you can see the area of influence. So this is a huge area and people are flocking from all over uh, to come and see him. And he was popular because he was telling people that the Messiah was coming and that they needed to repent and be baptized in preparation for his arrival. Again, this doesn't sound like to us the most crowd drawing um, message. You wouldn't necessarily fill Ulavi with like a scraggly head, bug eating um, preacher who's saying like repent and go and have a wash in the canal. It wouldn't work. Uh, but in the context where this story fits in, um, what he had to say was what everyone wanted to hear that the Messiah was coming. You see, these guys knew the Bible story really well. They knew there was a promised one, a Messiah, who would be a king like no other. He'd restore people's relationship with God. They knew it was broken. And, and fundamentally, they believed he'd come and make a, a Jewish nation that would once again shine like a beacon to the world around of, of God's glory and of, of their selection as, as God's chosen people. So when they heard John's message saying, he's here, the Messiah has come, he's coming, they were pumped. Um, we see that that's clearly his message because he quotes from uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and this is uh, a, a little bit of that verse. He says, um, he actually just reads the first couple of lines, but the whole quote is, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a prophecy of, of levelling, making it easy and, and, and accessible for people to come to God and to see his glory. Where at once there was real difficulty, this prophecy is saying, you can come to God. And they were desperate to have that in their life. Uh, so John had a purpose. Um, he, his purpose uh, was to be a voice in the wilderness. He knows exactly what his purpose is. He alludes to it super loads of times. Um, as a voice, he's called to speak and to preach. Uh, and his message was often offensive. Uh, like I said, he was locked up eventually because he refused to be quiet about the sin he saw in the rulers, in the leaders, the, the great corruption that was going on. He didn't, wasn't silent about it, uh, but he knew what God's message to those people was. Um, I, I'd like to put it to us that we have a very similar purpose to John the Baptist. See, we're, we're a voice uh, and not in a literal wilderness, but definitely in a spiritual one. Um, in our schools, in our homes, our workplaces, uh, or where in our daily commute, there's people that are in desperate need of God, desperate need of hope, uh, desperate need of um, understanding their role and their place in this world, uh, and in desperate need of a right relationship with God, primarily. See, we have a purpose to speak to a generation around us, to be that voice of hope and comfort to the lost and lonely, or a voice of compassion and acceptance to those that society rejects, perhaps a voice of forgiveness and radical love to a world that just judges and punishes and condemns. Sometimes we might need to be a voice of correction and warning to a world that uh, doesn't so much as dabble, but swims in destructive patterns of thought and, and action. Um, over and above all of that, we are a voice that says, he's come. The Messiah has arrived. Uh, there's hope 
and his name is Jesus. We sang that this morning, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It's worth spending some time asking yourself what, what's your, maybe you have a specific purpose. God has given you a, a word to speak to your colleagues, your friends, family members. Um, you know, John's not an abstract figure that we look at historically, but is actually a model for ourselves. In reading this and seeing this, we see that John saw his purpose, that God had put him in that place for, and he went about doing it. And it wasn't easy, um, but it, it was glorious. Uh, so I encourage us to have some time to think about perhaps our purpose. Yeah. Secondly, John had a priority. Um, we read this in uh, verses 24 to 27. Uh, now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John asked, answered them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Um, it's worth noticing that the priests and Levites are asking him a pretty straightforward question. Why are you baptising? What's this for? What does it do? And he completely doesn't answer that question, but says, oh, uh, there's someone here and he's going to baptise with the Holy Spirit. It's not an answer. And that's because John's priority, he's saying, forget about me. I've not got, why are you asking what a silly question? There's someone else. In fact, uh, all of John's character is to point to Jesus. Uh, we see this in loads of places in this text. I'm just going to pick out two. Uh, firstly, we see uh, John's character of prioritising Jesus displayed in um, verses whoa, 27, um, uh, 26 to 27. I baptise with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. You see, John's this popular rock star preacher that everyone's coming to see. Uh, they were asking him if he was the Messiah. They're asking him, well, are you Elijah reborn? Perhaps you're the, the prophet Moses or a prophet like him. They said, you, this, you wouldn't ask those questions if you didn't see something amazing in him. And John says here, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Uh, this isn't quite like today. Uh, I'm a primary school teacher, so I teach five and six-year-olds, and I, I tie and untie their shoes every day on a regular basis. Uh, so it's, it's, not that, it's not quite the same. Um, if you think about it, um, in that culture, in that day and age, in the hot and dusty streets, um, where animals and human refuse would be flowing freely, I imagine. If you've ever seen a film set in the medieval ages, you know those streets were filthy. And this was before that, so it must have been much worse. Um, see, uh, in those days, if you were rich, you actually got your lowest servant to untie your shoes. That'd be like a job. Like you'd come in and you'd be like, "Oi, Philip," <laughs> um, you know, and he'd be he'd be the lowest uh, servant, perhaps the 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 newbie or the one that burnt dinner the day before or something, you know. Um, and it would be a degrading job, showing the person's low stature. But here, John says, in front of all these people, I, I'm not worthy to peel off the mud-caked, sweat-soaked leather strap on this guy's feet. Compared to Jesus, I'm the lowest of the low. Next to the coming one, I'm, I'm barely a footnote. Um, another example of this humility and this priority of pointing to Jesus, of being humble before who he is, uh, comes in uh, verse 35. And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, 
and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And all commentators say that the, the fact that he's repeating himself and the next day, what John's really saying there is, guys, what are you still doing here with me? I told you yesterday, behold, the Lamb of God, and you're still here. Go after him. Go to him. He's not interested in keeping his disciples. He doesn't need a close posse. It's not the point. He's saying, that guy, go and, ch go and chain yourself to him. Go and follow him. He's your teacher. He's your rabbi. He's your master. I'm just a voice. My purpose is to point people to him. Again, um, this has direct impact on us. As a church, we have a very similar role. Uh, we want to bring people to Jesus, not so they follow us, not so they sign up to the city for life and, you know, come to all of our events and, you know, put good first as their Facebook profile picture. That's, that's so far from, a like, it's not even a thing. We, our point, our priority, our goal, our foundation is point to Jesus. We, we saw that in worship this morning. Um, Josh had a, a picture, uh, a kind of a prophetic image on uh, Tuesday night in home group, which he shared, small group, which he shared uh, on Friday uh, in our prayer meeting as well, uh, which was that when you go out walking in the streets and you see, uh, you know, you're walking along and suddenly you see a whole group of people and they're like, oh. like and they're all, you know, instinctively you all go, what are they pointing at, you know? Uh, and and the 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 image, the encouragement, the kind of exhortation to us was we ought to point to Jesus in what we do and what we say and how we live our lives, I guess. But our thoughts are we want to point people to him because it's not there's nothing in me that I'm going to I can't I'm no hope to any of you. But Jesus is, you know, um, we want to bring people to Christ. That's what church is for not bring people to church. Um, I've got some pictures, stock pictures off the internet. This is what we want. <laughs> not this. I put that in just for this. Um, so John knows his purpose and he knows his priority too. Um, he's a voice and he's a voice that points to Jesus. But what's this message the great foundation that we've been working towards. Um, you see, as Chloe opened the drawer of uh, my three years worth of Lush products uh, and had a realization dawned that she was marrying a hoarder. Uh, so now <laughs> in John's gospel, uh, gospel, we're opening a drawer, a, a drawer in Jesus's identity, so to speak. But it's not like a dirty secret. It's, it's just more glory. We are getting a window into a facet of who he is, a facet of his character, a facet of his purpose and his mission on earth. And, uh, and John is shown that, and that is seen here in verses 29 and 35. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again he says it, uh, behold the Lamb of God. So uh, it's a good question. What have lambs got to do with anything? Uh, are we talking lamb dinner with mint sauce? Are we talking uh, cute baby lambs that you see in spring, symbolising new birth? Um, well, it, it's neither of those. Um, no, for John's listeners, they knew exactly what this was about. Uh, lambs are all about sacrifice. 
uh, is a quote from Jameson Fawcett and Brown. That's three people. I always thought it was just one person with a crazy name, but it's actually three <laughs> people. Um, I tried to get photos, but there's none because they they're long dead. Um, it says they said this: the lamb here, beyond all doubt, refers to the death of Christ and the sacrificial character of that death. The offering of a lamb every morning and evening, of the two in the, and two on the morning and evening of every Sabbath day throughout all the ages of the Jewish economy had furnished such a language on this subject as to those who heard these words of the Baptist could need no explanation. They knew day in, day out, you go to the temple, you're seeing animals be slaughtered. You see lambs. There's a specific lamb for the sacrifice of sin, a sin offering, an atonement offering. We'll cover that in just a moment. And they knew this. It would have been clear to them. Uh, but that doesn't really explain why John the Baptist is using this metaphor, uh, this picture, this illusion to describe Jesus. Why is he a lamb? And specifically, why is he God's lamb? How does this relate to uh, removing sin or taking away the sins of the world? Well, uh, to understand this, we need to get a clearer sense of sin and evil and how it affects our relationship with each other and with God. Uh, so I might take a step back from this text for a second. Um, See, we all, we all want peace, love, and justice. Yet something compels humans to wreak havoc on the world. Uh, the Bible calls this sin uh, and evil, we can call it as well. And there's at, least, uh, there's at least two effects of sin and evil. First is a direct effect, and then there's an indirect effect. Uh, directly, um, the effect of evil uh, means that there's an injustice that requires a payment. An example would be if I steal something, I might have to give that back or pay a fine or do some jail time um, to recoup, to repay uh, the damage I'd done. But the indirect effect is actually our impact on relationships. Um, we have, it's a kind of relational vandalism. Trust is lost uh, and our friendships or uh, family relationships will be broken by the, our, our choices. Um, and other people's lives are affected beyond the direct injustice. It has a ripple effect into uh, a wider context. But it also has a ripple effect with our relationship with God. Every act of sin or evil, no matter how small, is a huge rebellion and insult to God who created the world to be filled with love, peace and justice. And people might well say, well, God is good. Uh, surely he can just get rid of uh, all this uh, sin and evil. Um, but if we're honest and we look at ourselves, we realise that the, the evil that we see out there is actually the same as, as what's inside me. Different levels, perhaps, but there's no denying uh, that I, I cause hurt and pain to the people around me from time to time or on a regular basis. Um, so for God to get rid of it all would mean that he would get to need to get rid of me. Uh, but the message of the Bible is so good is that God is so good that he's not just getting rid of evil, but he's going to do it without getting rid of us. And this is where lambs come in. Uh, you see, animal sacrifice is a powerful symbol in the Old Testament. Um, it's important to remember it's not a literate culture that, that, uh, that this was happening in. So people couldn't do like what we do. You know, we get married. I sign the paper that says, yes, I agree to do these things. I sign a covenant. That's my, that's my sort of statement of intent is in my signature. But in a society where people aren't reading and writing very much, um, 
the way to uh, kind of make a picture really clear or to, or to make promises or to make um, agreements was to act out the consequences. An example of this in the Old Testament is um, when kings used to um, want to make a, a covenant with perhaps a lower lord who maybe they'd conquered or, uh, or maybe someone who says, oh, I'll serve you as, as, as a servant. Uh, what a king would do uh, would get a load of animals, they'd cut them in half, put them on either side, uh, make a little alleyway, and then they'd walk down through these pieces of dead animal and say, well, if I break my promise, let it be done unto me what's been done to these animals. And then the servant would say, oh, and if I break my promise, let it be done to me, basically saying, I'll keep my promise, otherwise this can happen. And it was a very theatrical and symbolic society uh, and culture. And so this whole sacrificial uh, uh, symbol uh, was to paint a, an important picture to a culture that didn't uh, read and write, broadly speaking. Uh, so God is allowing this animal to become a substitute. It symbolically dies in our place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's debts. Uh, there's also the sense that this evil that pollutes the world, it ripples out into our surroundings, making it impure. And so uh, what, what the priest would do is he'd take the blood. Again, this is a symbol of life. You, you can't live without blood. So this was this symbol of, of life. And, and where there was corruption, the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it around, symbolically putting life where once there was death. Uh, so the priest, uh, so the whole temple system was set up symbolically and theatrically to show just what was required to pay for sin and evil, and as well uh, to cleanse the effect of sin and evil on the world. It's worth noting that it had to be a spotless lamb. Uh, it says this in uh, Leviticus, if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Um, by insisting that it had to be the best lamb, God is saying to an agrarian culture that sin has a very high cost that needs to be paid. To do away with the, with the sin and the effects of sin, God requires his people to kill their best prize-winning animal, the one with the, the most meat, the softest wool, the one that produced the most desirable offspring. Sacrifice that one constantly on a daily basis to atone for sin to pay off the debt, to undo the corruption, they must sacrifice something valuable, rare and beautiful, a spotless lamb. But even this wasn't enough. You see, with all that animal sacrifice, the Jewish people continue to act in an evil way, ignoring God and treating each other with cruelty uh, and contempt. But the Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when a king would arise and deal with this evil once and for all. A time when continual sacrifice wouldn't be necessary. Uh, a time when people would obey God from their hearts. And his design for peace and love and justice uh, would be seen on the earth. And this is where we meet Jesus in John's Gospel. John the Baptist is pointing to this Messiah King saying, look, he's come. But he's come as a sacrificial lamb to die in our place. Taking on the sin once and for all. All those sheep. All those lambs were just pointing symbolically to him, the perfect sacrifice. Now, why is Jesus the perfect sacrifice? Um, it's a question worth asking. 
Uh, Peter says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Jesus is just, if Jesus is just a man, flawed and imperfect, like one of us, then there's no way he could pay for his own sin, let alone ours. For the gospel writers already told us that Jesus isn't like us. You see, he was there at the beginning. He's in fact God himself, and he stepped into flesh, stepped into humanity. Uh, Because, uh, again, an aloof and sort of lofty God out there is no use to us either. But Jesus steps into humanity, takes on a body, and lived a life like ours, but remaining sinless. He was tempted in every way. Uh, but didn't sin and therefore he's truly spotless as God's only begotten son he's immeasurably valuable so holy so mighty so loved and adored by his father and so he's infinitely more precious than any lamb could ever be so continual lamb sacrifice makes sense because a lamb's just a lamb but Jesus's death just was once and for all paid once and available for all humanity who believe. You see, this message of the king has come isn't good news until we see that the king has come to die for his rebellious people. So we have a a purpose to be a voice to the generation around us. Uh, And with that, we have priority is to point to Jesus. But we're not just pointing to kind of any Jesus, not just pointing abstractly to like a picture of Jesus or an idea of Jesus that we might have, we're pointing to this Jesus who is the saviour king who gave himself as a sacrifice on our behalf to pay the penalty for sin and to begin to cleanse once and for all the effects of sin, Uh, namely to restore our broken relationship with God. So I just had to pray to finish. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your words we thank you that we we have a savior a high priest who wasn't tempted uh, was tempted but never sinned who knows our weaknesses knows what it's like to be human and yet is very god lord i thank you that we have in you a sacrifice for sin that's once and for all. I thank you that in you we have a saviour who uh, doesn't come to judge but came as love Mm -hmm. to restore our relationship with you. Mm. A feat we could never accomplish but we now freely accept as grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Guys.